Hallelujah. Just close your eyes, just begin to give the Lord the Lord glory, give him praise, worship his holy name. Come on, just bless his holy name. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Give him glory this morning. Give him glory this morning. Give him glory this morning. In heaven and on earth, there is none like unto him. He sits upon the circles of the earth. Heaven is his throne. And the earth is his footstool. Unto him who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb of God, be all the glory and all the honor and all the power forever. Bless his name for your life. Bless his name for your existence. Bless him for the fact that you exist among the living, that you are blessed, that you are healthy. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this gathering. Your word says, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their midst. As your word is about to come forth, let it come forth with power. Let it come forth with conviction. Let it change somebody's life today. I take authority in the realm of the spirit and I declare a supernatural injunction on any activity of the enemy in this place. Father, let your spirit have free course to operate in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall I put our hands together for the Lord? Oh, the church, the average age has gone up again. Shall we give the Lord a clap of praise? And if your voice is yours, you can add a shout of praise to it. Hallelujah. You may take your seats. We bless God for this morning. We thank him for a gathering like this. Amen. It's good to be in church. Tell somebody it's good to be in church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, finalists, how, how is it going? It is good cry. It's good cry. Amen. Whatever may have gone wrong, today it is turning around for your good. Uh, you see, it's up to you to receive the word though. I said whatever may have gone wrong in the past week, I said today it is turning around for your good. Hallelujah. Yeah. Things can turn around and turn around and as for next week when you reach the clinicals just go and manifest what God has done already and I pray that favor upon you that will make them just ask you simple questions and just converse with you ask you what car do you plan to drive when you finish school where do you plan to work when is your wedding can I have an invite if you believe it give the Lord a shout on their behalf <laughs> hallelujah Amen. We bless God. We bless God. And we thank God for the series we've started. How many of you are enjoying the series? How many of you are enjoying it? Spiritual growth. Series on spiritual growth. And on Wednesday, we had our very first midweek service. Hallelujah. Yeah. Those of them who were here, we had a wonderful time of teaching the word. And today we are going to continue. You see, this series, it is one long, continuous preaching. You understand? There are subtopics. Right now, I'm dealing with the issue of the word. I started on Wednesday, so I'm continuing. So, because it's one long, continuous thing, there are times when I'll start something. I'll con- Just like how today, I'm going to continue from where I left off on Wednesday. 
I may finish that side of it in the middle and then start something else. You understand? That's what we mean by one long, continuous preach. The thing is that this is our church. We are not in a hurry to go anywhere. Amen. So we don't finish today. We continue on Wednesday like that. Amen. And if I do it like that to those of you who are deciding not to come on Wednesdays, you will come. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Wednesday church service is not for special people. It's for Christians. Amen. How many Christians are there in the house? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yesterday I got, was it two days ago, I got a call from the, the principal of the school. Those who are hosting us. It was like, oh, can you move your midweek service to start from five and end at seven? I was like, oh, that's what that one there is not going to be possible. So tomorrow I'm going to see her to negotiate the time. Reason being that some of the students are complaining that they want to come and learn. on Wednesday they wanted to come and learn. And when they came here, we were having service. Meanwhile, there are two big classrooms as big as this one over there. And most of the time when you come here crying, people are learning. It's just some two or three people who are learning, you know. You know, but we'll sort it out. As for five o'clock, I don't think it's possible. It's not possible to have midweek service at five o'clock. Because the school itself closes at five. So when will we set up? And, you know, so I'll go and negotiate tomorrow and we'll see. There may be an adjustment of the time to bring it forward a bit. But uh, I don't expect it to be too much. Amen. Oh, these are some of the things you, you should expect with church. Amen. Yeah. But the Bible says, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. I'm not saying the school authorities are the gates of hell. No, 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 no. Not at all. If they were gates of hell, they wouldn't have given us this place to use. Amen. Yeah. But the Lord will build his church. Amen. All right. So today I'm going to continue from. And yes, on Friday, on Friday, we are having the second edition of our prayer and worship service. Hallelujah. Yeah, prayer and worship. 90 minutes. 90 minutes. 7 to 8.30. 90 minutes. Like the last time we started with prayer, we did, sorry, we started with worship, we did intensive prayer, and then we ended with worship. It was so powerful. And we're going to have the second edition on Friday. The finalists, you have to come home. When you finish on Thursday, you are waiting. When there's a hindering is meeting, you have to come and worship over their heads. And declare things in the spirit. Hallelujah. And some of you, after the papers, you'll be afraid of certain things. Come and release the tension. Just lift up your hands and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. So that will be Friday night. Friday night. All right. So today I'm continuing from where I, I, I left off on Wednesday. Should I do a small recap for those who didn't come? You see... If I continue doing recaps, they say, oh, you don't come on Wednesday. I'll get a recap on, on Wednesday. But you see, a recap is not the same as, it's, it's just like an English Premier League match and you, you decide that you want highlights when other people can watch the full live match. So it's not the same. But I'll do a, a little recap. Basically, what I was talking about on, um, on, on Wednesday was, my focus was on the way because we are dealing with spiritual growth. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.2 that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God. The word of God is crucial. It is essential when it comes to spiritual growth. I, on, on Sunday, I likened the born again Christian to a baby. And I told you that as a matter of principle, anything that is born starts off as a baby. 
if you don't if you didn't start off as a baby then you were not born and i told you that adam and eve are the only two people who were never born and that is why in heaven there will be the only two people without a belly button no navel because they never slept in any woman's womb so if you go to heaven and you want to identify the two of them and ask them questions as to why they misbehaved go around looking at people's bellies the two without belly buttons will be adam and eve hallelujah so anything that is born starts off as a baby so if we say you are born again it means your spirit man starts off as a baby and the bible has made it clear that the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another they will constantly be at war they will constantly be at loggerheads when you become born again your spirit man is a baby but your spirit man is under the influence of the holy spirit hallelujah so when the bible says the spirit wars against the flesh it means the two of them are constantly fighting one another the things that the spirit man wants are contrary to the things that the flesh wants and your spirit man starts off as a baby but your flesh doesn't become a baby your flesh continues to be the flesh of a grown 20 something year old man you still know how to do all the bad things so if this full-grown flesh is fighting against or is contrary or is at loggerheads with this baby of a spirit it is going to be a mismatch and you are going to follow the dictates and the desires of the flesh all the time that is why everybody needs to take that spirit man that is a baby through an accelerated growth regimen and the Bible says, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word of God. On Wednesday, I explained the word sincere. The word sincere from the original Greek means unadulterated or original or true. All right. When a baby is born, God puts milk in its mother's breast for that baby. And that milk is the original. That, that milk is is, is the unadulterated milk. The med- medical people will tell you that, the pediatricians will tell you that breast milk is the best form of milk for a baby because it has the right temperature, the, the contents of the various nutrients and everything are perfect, the antibodies are there, it has iron, it has whatever, things that you will not find in the formula, the artificial ones that have been made. So as for the word of God, it is essential and we must desire it, we must have a hunger for the for the word of god and then i explained that just like in the physical you have artificial milk or infant formula like lactogen in the spirit since the sincere milk or the original one is the word of god the man-made one are the books that we read christian literature so people write books on prayer people write books on faith and just as in the natural, we use those as top-ups. When you have given breast milk, after a while you give top-ups with lactogen or none or any of those brands of infant formula. The books that we read are supposed to be top-ups for the original or the sincere milk of the word of God, the true milk of the word of God. Hallelujah. So what I'm saying is that you shouldn't be in a situation where for one month you haven't fed your spirit man on the sincere milk but you are just reading Christian literature. It is not good enough. Hallelujah. The sincere milk is the original. And that is what God has prepared for you. So you use these ones as a complement or as a top-up. 
to the original milk. And I spoke about the fact that God has preserved his word. I took them through how the word of God came through inspiration and I explained what we meant by inspiration in the sense that Moses was the one who wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis chapter 1, they were talking about creation. In Genesis somewhere, they were talking about Abraham and what he did. Moses hadn't been born then. It, has to, it must have come through a certain form of supernatural inspiration for him to have known what God did. And I said that I believe with Moses, God sat face to face with him and dictated and told him that on day one, this is what I did. On day two, this is what I did. On day seven, I decided to rest. Because the Bible says, with my other prophets, I speak to them in dreams and in visions. But with my prophet Moses, I communicate with him face to face and mouth to mouth. Hallelujah. So that is what we mean by divine inspiration. And I ended on the note, I gave you history, historical facts about how meticulously the word of God has been preserved. So when the devil comes and is trying to place doubts in your mind as to the authenticity of the word of God, it, it is neither here nor there. And that is the point from which I'm going to take off today to, to, to show you the fact that God will not allow his word to be adulterated. If God allows his word to be tampered with and adulterated, he loses his moral right to judge us. Hallelujah. Because judgment is going to be based on the standards of the word of God. How people are going to live in heaven, those who are going to live in Trasago Valley in heaven, those who are going to live in Zongo Junction in heaven, those who are going to live in, uh, what do you call it, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in heaven, all of that is going to be determined by the standards of the word of God. And it's even the word of God that is going to determine those who may not make it into heaven at all. Amen. And the Bible says God has exalted his word above his own name. The moment God allows that word to be adulterated, then it means he himself is in doubt. Because he has exalted it above himself. If the word can be adulterated, then he himself, he's not stable. We don't have any reason to believe him. Hallelujah. I'm trying to give you reasons why you should believe that the word of God is really the word of God. And God is not going to allow Satan to tamper with it. Satan has tried through history, through false prophets, through false teachers, through false writers, to try and adulterate this thing that God has done. But throughout history, any move that Satan has made, God has found an answer and a solution to it. The Hebrews were taxed with keeping the Old Testament. They were the custodians of the Old Testament. And God did it through people like the scribes. They had a special group of scribes. They called them Masoratis. These people were very meticulous people. And you know, those days, there was nothing like a printing press. So they had to handwrite the words or the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the inspired words that were given to the prophet. They had to reproduce by handwriting them. And these people were so meticulous that when they copied a whole book out, can you imagine you being given a punishment to copy out the whole of the book of Psalms? That would be a serious punishment, to copy everything word for word. So they were copying these things out, and to ensure accuracy, whenever they finish copying a whole text out, they will count the words one by one, compare the number of words to the original. So if there were 12,000 words in that particular book, and they count, and it is 12,001, that particular manuscript is going to be buried. 
because it means somebody has added something to the word of God. This is how meticulous they were. It's even told that some of them were so meticulous that they counted the original manuscript. So let's say they took the original one written by Moses and counted the letters. So if it is 20,000 letters, they noted which one was the middle letter. So when they reproduced it, they will count each individual letter and they expected that the middle letter will be that particular one. So if it is not, it means that one is adulterated. Hallelujah. That is the extent to which people went to preserve this word. Amen. And when it came to the New Testament, God knew he couldn't trust the Hebrews to do it. Because he knew they were going to reject Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament is. Jesus Christ is all about Jesus Christ. So now, with the New Testament, the responsibility of the preservation was now given to the Gentiles. That is why the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and some parts of it in Aramaic. And the New Testament was written in Greek. So when we are looking, when we are preaching, we say the original Hebrew and the original Greek said this and that and that. Don't get offended that we are not saying the original tree or the original gun. It's not for fun that we refer to Hebrew and Greek. It's because the original Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the original New Testament was written in Greek. Why do we sometimes have to refer to the original Hebrew and Greek? It's because the Bible has been translated into about 2,500 different languages. And when it comes to vocabulary and semantics, different languages have different dynamics. So there are times when it may seem like certain translations have been lost. And this brings me to the point of some people claiming that there are contradictions in the word of God. There are no contradictions in the word of God. The word of God can never contradict itself. Hallelujah. There are seeming contradictions. Things that may look like contradictions. But there are reasons for some of these things. Most of the time, it's due to things related to translation. Let me give you this example. Somebody can claim that the Bible contradicts itself when it says... God does not tempt man. Let's say, okay, let's let's say in tree. Nyankopon so right? If my tree is bad, tell me me. My ancestors came from Jamestown. Amen. Nyankopon so Because in James it said, if a man is tempted, he shouldn't say he's tempted of God, because God doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. But then they'll go to Moses' story. Sorry, Abraham's story. And they say, Nyankopon saw Abraham share that he should go and kill his child. The thing is that in Chi, trial is in Soshe. Testing is in Soshe. Temptation is also in Soshe. So if you want to translate the scriptures into Chi, but you see, when you go to the original, you realize that in the James 1, it is temptation he was talking about. Temptation is meant to lead you into sin. And James was saying that God doesn't tempt anybody. But in the Genesis, he was actually talking about a test. So the English has separate words for test and tempt. But gee, we don't have separate words for test and tempt. Both of them are in social. So if you read it just like that, you say here, they are saying, Nyankupon, so nipan, but why is it that this same Nyankupon is showing somebody a shame? <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you getting the point I'm making? This is one of the reasons why sometimes it seems as if there are contradictions in the word of God. 
It seems as if there are contradictions in the word. There are issues of translation. Just because you are translating the word into chi doesn't mean you have to invent another word for trial. And it will not sound like tempt. Are you getting my point? So the one word that is accepted by everybody, they will just use it. So somebody reads this and says there are contradictions in the word of God. But there can never be contradictions in the word of God. Hallelujah. Let me show you certain scriptures that will show you that this word, it's, it's I mean, it, it, you, you can't doubt it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. Matthew 5 18. Matthew 5 18. These things are important because in this day and age, one of Satan's main aims is to attack the authenticity of the word of God on the net and everywhere. It's like that is what is happening. He said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He's talking about one jot. It, it's like it, it can't be adulterated. Hallelujah. Open to Matthew chapter 24 verse 35. Matthew 24 35. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This is divinity speaking. If it's Paul who said it, you say it's a human being that said it. This is Jesus Christ who is God himself talking. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but as for my word, it shall never pass away. Amen. If you are saying that, oh, all of these are in Old Testament, let's go to Isaiah 48. Sorry, New Testament, let's go to Isaiah 48. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. He said, the grass withered, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Hallelujah. These, at least, there are many more scriptures, but at least these three, you should be rest assured in your heart. That that thing that you have in your hand is the word of God and the devil can never tamper with it. Amen. So God has meticulously preserved his word. And even signs, there are things in the Bible that, there are a lot of things that, that show that this one, it was actually God. Or it was actually the inspiration of God that showed those people those things. Because in terms of technological advancement and things like that, there are certain things stated in the Bible that under normal circumstances, the people shouldn't have access to that kind of information. Hallelujah. But by divine inspiration, they knew those things. And I want to show you a few of them. A few of those things. For example, the fact that circumcision, God instructed them to circumcise on the eighth day. There is a lot of serial signs in it. In fact, a lot of hematology in it. Amen. The reason is that for some funny reason, on the eighth day, it's like your ability to clot is not at its optimum when you are born. Mainly because your liver function is not up to where it's supposed to be. And a lot of the clotting, this one I'm taking you through a hematology lecture. Open your ears. Listen. <laughs> Because a lot of the, the clotting factors are actually produced by the liver. Amen. That is why children are susceptible to things like what we call hemorrhagic disease of the newborn and stuff like that. But the clotting ability of the baby reaches its peak on the eighth day and drops again after the eighth day. So if you want a good day to circumcise your child for him not to bleed out, 
it is day eight. Hallelujah. So God is the greatest hematologist in the world. Amen. So they, they, these are things that they couldn't have known. It's just recently they found out those things. How to even test for coagulation factors and things like that. But God had told them a long time ago because the coagulation factors, he created them. Amen. He created them and he knows how they function. You see, that is why when people find things, they say it's a discovery. That means God did the thing and he covered it too. So when you find it, it means you are just opening and God, in fact, it's not you opening. God opens it and shows you what he, what he did originally. Hallelujah. So there are a lot of things that they, they couldn't have known. Community health, things like quarantining. In Exodus, they were quarantining people. They said if somebody has an effusion or somebody has a, a skin disease, put him outside the camp. So it's not community health physicians who, who, who discovered the, 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 what do you call it? The, 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 the signs of quarantine. They're doing these things. They were instructed that when somebody has an effusion of the body, the person should be bathed in running water. Running water. Even in medicine, we advise that when you are like trying to keep uh, clean, you a doctor, you are examining patient to patient, you don't wash your hand in stagnant water. Running water. So that you reduce the, 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 the rate of infection. Hallelujah. So there is a lot of signs. The fact that the earth hangs unsupported for many, many years. Those so-called Greek philosophers who thought they knew everything. The Aristotles and the Socrates. They were propounding all kinds of theories as to how the earth is held. Some of them said there were some very giant elephants that were carrying the earth on their back. Some people too said there was this mythical macho man called Atlas. So you see the symbol of Atlas and somebody with a lot of muscles and it's like the earth is on his back like that. They had all sorts of theories because the technology wasn't there for them to be able to know that the earth was hanging unsupported in the earth. Give me Job chapter 26 verse 7. Job 26 7. There were no telescopes in those days. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Father Job knew that he stretched out the north over the empty place and hanged the earth upon nothing. So no elephant, no atlas, the earth is hanging on nothing. Hallelujah. The man wasn't a scientist. How could he have known this? And it was years later that this was proved. That the earth hangs on nothing. It must have been through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the earth is round, they didn't know. They thought the, the earth was some flat, what do you call it? It was Isaiah who saw it and talked about the fact that God sits upon the circles of the earth. That's when they, it, it, it's like the idea came that, hey, this thing could be a circle. One of the greatest explorers, Christopher Columbus, he said his, one of the things he did was actually to to, to sail across the world and the inspiration came from the scriptures, the fact that the earth is round so he was like if the earth is round, that means if I start from one point and I go uh, it should be possible that I'll come back to the same place, and that was inspired from the scriptures, amen so this thing we are reading there is science in it, there is politics in it, there is economics in it it has a solution to every problem in this world, amen now, even the importance of blood, 
in the body's mechanism. Today I'm being very biased towards hematology. If you read Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, and this is a scripture that shows you that the greatest doctors in the world are the hematologists. Amen. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Recently I was giving, I was going to give a lecture, and this was my first slide. He said, For the life of the flesh is in the word. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. It's the first part that I'm interested in. That's all. The life of the flesh is in the blood. It tells you that the blood can give you a picture of what is happening in the flesh. Nobody had discovered BUE creatinine those days. Nobody had discovered liver function tests. But your blood can give you a picture of what is happening in your liver, which is your flesh. Your blood can give you a picture of what is happening in your kidneys, which is your flesh. Hallelujah. And we all know if you drain your blood, you are finished. You are dead. So this is higher level signs and it came through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Some people ask, so where is the biblical explanation for dinosaurs? Because the truth is that they have found bones and assembled them and it looks like this very huge animal that we have never seen before. So, what is the biblical evidence? Or what is the biblical explanation for the presence of dinosaurs? Let's read Job chapter 40, 15 to 24. This particular scripture, a lot of theologians have debated it as to their interpretation. But, me too, I choose my interpretation. Hallelujah. Leviticus chapter 40, from 15 to 24. Sorry, Job. Not Leviticus, Job. Yeah. And behold now who? Behemoth. Behemoth is the name of a creature that God created. Which I made with thee. He eated grass as an ox. That means it's a herbivore. Herbivore. Eated grass as a horse. Next. Lo now, his strength is in his loins. Have you seen a picture of a dinosaur before? They are from the head part, uh, a slimmer. When it gets to the loin part, it just becomes big like that before he moves to the tail. And his force is in the navel of his belly. Next. He moved his tail like a cedar. Do you know what a cedar is? The cedar is one of the biggest trees you can get. It's a very huge tree with a lot of sap. So when I'm giving the benediction and I say, may you flourish as a palm tree and may you grow as the cedars of Lebanon. I'm talking about the fact that you should be filled with goodness, filled with sap, filled with greatness. Hallelujah. Sitters have huge trunks. There are some of the theologians who argue that this animal they were describing was the hippopotamus. But this statement just puts that argument straight flat on its feet. Have you seen a hippopotamus tail before? May I even call it a taillet? It's not even a tail. Small tail. How can you compare the tail of a hippopotamus to that of a cedar a huge tree which animal has living animal right now has a tail that is as big as the trunk of a tree it is going in the direction of a dinosaur now he moved the sail like a cedar the sinews of his stones are wrapped together next his bones are as strong pieces of brass his bones are like bars of iron when you go back go and google dinosaur bones when you see the dinosaur bones they look like like brass it looks like brass actually next 
He is the chief of the ways of God. Some interpret that to mean that he's the biggest creation of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. The one who made him can make... What do you use a sword for? Isn't it to kill? And it is believed that this is the explanation for the extinction. The fact that the dinosaur is extinct. The one who made him decided that I am approaching you with the sword. You are drinking too much water in the system. You are too big. You are eating all the trees. I am advancing my sword towards you. You are finished. Next. Surely the mountains bring him forth food. Where all the beasts of the field play. Next. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fence. Next. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. If you've watched movies of dinosaurs and things, you realize it's like they are walking among the trees. Their heads are above the trees and things like that. Next. Behold, he drinketh up a river. He must be huge. Hippopotamus can't drink that much. He trusted that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He must be huge. Last verse. Next one. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierced through snares. This description, me, I believe it can't fit any existing animal right now. But from the characteristics we've seen, it can very well fit that of a dinosaur. I'm just trying to tell you that this book was written by the one who created the earth himself. And when you are reading it, read it with conviction that this is indeed the word of God. The word of God has come under attack for centuries. And God started the process of trying to preserve it. Even right from the first books that were written, Moses. Moses' books. Why am I saying that? Because they kept the first scrolls that Moses wrote in the most sacred place of all, which is inside the Ark of the Covenant. Because no matter how much of a thief you are, as for the Ark of the Covenant, you'll be afraid to go there. So they kept those scrolls in. And you see, it's because God knew Satan would try his best to either destroy the word or to infiltrate it or to adulterate it one way or the other. So throughout history, God has ensured that the word is kept and kept well. He has used Christians and non-Christians alike. Certain kings and stuff like that. People have died and shed their blood for the purpose of keeping this way. And Satan is still attacking the word. Right now he knows, thank God in 1455, one man called, German called Gothenburg, he invented the printing press. And can you imagine, the very first book that was printed with the printing press was a Bible. The very, very first book ever. So if you see any book that was printed with a printing press, the original, there was a Bible that was printed. So now it made multiplication of the Bible easy. So now Satan's aim now is not to destroy the, 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 the book, the letter, the substance of the word, because that one, we've gone beyond that. They said more than 5 billion copies of the Bible have been made throughout history. If you do whatever you do, you'll find some somewhere. But there are countries in the world right now where if you are seen holding a Bible, it is tantamount to being, that, be, being killed. What's the, the, the name of it? North Korea. North Korea. 
when you are entering North Korea, they will search you, take your laptop, scan through it. If they find anything that has any semblance of a Bible, you go to jail. I know of some international students. They were medical students in China. And they decided to go into North Korea to go and do some secret missions. And one of them actually had a Bible on his laptop. And this is a real story. It's not like something I read. Somebody who knows this guy actually called me from China. He's a student in China. A Christian Ghanaian student in China was telling me. The guy went there. I think he made a mistake of not deleting the thing. He entered North Korea. They scanned this and found out there's a Bible. As we speak, he's in jail. And as for North Korea, people disappear by heart. That dictator of their leader who thinks nuclear bombs are toys. That guy has a serious mental problem in my opinion. You can just disappear. He killed his own uncle simply because the uncle slept during a cabinet meeting. He executed him. And do you know what they used to execute him? They fired him with a gun, the gun that they used to bring down aircraft. That's what they used to kill him. They executed him like that. So there are places in the world where people access to the word of God is, is, is a crime. It's a crime. So now Satan is trying to attack the substance of the word itself to create doubts in your mind by all these claims of contradiction and stuff. When you go to the net, you will find all sorts of things. All kinds of funny things people are saying. All kinds of arguments. That is why you need to know the word of God so that you can correct some of these abnormalities in the system. I don't know how many of you have heard about this guy who is in the system right now. They call him what? Avram Ben Moshe. How many of you have seen him on Facebook and stuff like that? If you've not heard of him, don't even bother going to look for him. This guy is a serious tool in the hands of them. He's a Ghanaian. And he's going around just bashing the Bible. And this guy, when you hear him, he's so eloquent, he's so confident, he seems to know the word of God. I'm using the word seems. Seems to know because, oh, he can quote. As we're quoting, he can quote. He actually has outdoor programs where he mounts a platform, stands on it, and bashes the word of God. He'll take this scripture, compare it to this, and say that Jesus lied. So Jesus is a liar. How can Jesus Christ say he's the son of God? And that's what I'm saying. When people are talking about contradictions, it's because they are looking at the word of God in one particular direction. When you take a scripture and you want to be sure of what exactly they mean, if you, if you think there is a contradiction, there are a lot of different ways. I've showed you one of the ways by looking at the original text and what the original words were. Two, you have to look at the pretext of that particular um, statement. What was said before it? Because most of the time, what was said before it can inform the exact meaning or the actual interpretation of what has been said. Look at what was said afterwards. Look at things like historical perspective and even cultural perspective. Hallelujah. That is when you get the full meaning of the thing. It's not just what has been written over there. The word of God is deeper than that. So he takes some of these things and he's throwing dust into people's eyes. People who already don't want to go to church. They listen to him and like, yeah, speak to them. Tell them. And the way he gets a lot of followers is the fact that he has taken along the path of bashing pastors. And that one there, when you do, you get a lot of following. Because the pastors, people are really misbehaving. So when he starts going along those lines, you can see Facebook. Yeah, like, like. People are just liking like that. And they like too much money. And they're doing this and this and that. Some of the, the things he's saying are true. So there are people like that in the system. But thank God recently, one 
guy on Adum FM, Adum TV, organized a debate between him and one young evangelist. I mean, that guy's knowledge of the scriptures is just admirable. When I watched that, I was like, wow, we need such people in the system. So they sat down face to face. When Moshe quotes and misinterprets, then you take the actual scripture and give the word. And we're doing the thing in three. And this Moshe guy is very aggressive. You know those kind of people? Aggressive, very eloquent. And, and I think they chose somebody who is a replica of him. He really met his match that day. This guy can intimidate you. Oh, this one wasn't allowing him to be intimidated. Himself to be intimidated. When the guy says the thing and he interprets it wrongly, he will correct him and give him background and everything. When he finishes, you tell him that. And you could see that Moshe guy was just getting irritated. On Facebook, somebody was like, uh-huh, today you have met your match. Every day you stand alone on the pulpit and you talk and people are just there cheering. Today you have met your meter. The thing went, uh, he realized he was not seeing top. So, he asked the host that next time he should let him know the kind of people he's bringing to come and debate him. Because this guy, he's older than him and the guy is being disrespectful. <laughs> now you have turned the thing into disrespect. <laughs> so, there are people like that in the system. That is why you and I must know the word. The way this guy quotes the thing, if you don't know the word, you accept what he's saying and you'll be doubting. His whole point is that Jesus Christ was a fabrication of the white man. Jesus Christ was made up by the white man so that they can colonize us. You think that Jesus Christ is white. So that when they come and they're also white, that means junior Jesus has come. So I must go too. That's his whole message. So we need to know the word. The word of God has, has, has been under attack all these wars. And it will continue to be under attack. That is why when we are receiving the word of God, we must receive it and receive it well. And when we are studying the word of God, from today, remove that word or that phrase, reading the word from your vocabulary. Because Christians don't read the word. We study the word. Amen. Reading the word means you are just, you are just reading. But studying, when you are studying, you have a pen and you have a book. Amen. Me, wherever my Bible is, there is a diary and a pen. Ask my wife, even where I sleep. Where the Bible is, there's a pen and there's a diary. That is studying the word. When you go to reading, reading, you just read stories and that is it. You must study the word. The word of God must be studied. Because Satan is attacking the word and you must know the word and know it and know it well. So that when he comes and he twists it, you know that this is a twisted version of the word of God. I can show you certain scriptures. You just twist it a little and it can give you opposite of the meaning. And that is why I say, that's how Satan comes most of the time. That's how Satan comes most of the time. And when it comes to the word of God, there are two things the Bible likens the word of God to. The first one is a seed. Everybody say a seed. And the second one is food. Say food. So the Bible likens the word that is preached to a seed. And he likens the word that we study to food. Specifically milk. Amen. Even talks about strong meat and stuff like that later. So the general word we can use is food. Seed. And the parable of the sower tells us how when the word of God is preached, there are different ways in which we take it. It actually gave four different grounds on which the word of God can fall. And I tell people that if you go by that principle or that parable, 
What it means is that anytime a word is preached, all things being equal, only 25% of people will benefit fully from the word. I'm not saying only 25% will benefit. It's only 25% who will benefit fully. And that is on assumption that all things are equal. But you and I know that in reality, all things are not equal. Amen. That means it all depends on you and your attitude. And it is possible that when the word is preached, there will be 100% full effect. The word of God is like a seed. When you plant a seed, you expect that the seed will develop roots. The only way the seed can abide is if it develops roots. A seed can germinate, starts budding, but if it doesn't develop roots, that seed is going to die after a while. After it has developed uh, roots, it is expected to grow, and when it has grown, it is expected to bear fruits. Expected to bear fruits. A lot of people think bearing of fruits is the end of the journey of the seed. But the journey of the seed ends when the fruit also develops another seed for continuation. That is where the cycle ends. So, what are you saying? You receive a word, it has been preached. You accept it, you let it develop roots in you. It germinates, it bears fruits. When the fruit, when the word is bearing fruit, that means you are living it. You are exhibiting what you have been told. Last week, when we talked about prayer and things, I taught you certain things. I'm sure some of you are practicing them, the practical ways to pray and all of those things. It is when you live them, that is when you are bearing the fruit. But that is not the end. At the end of the day, you should be able to develop a seed out of that same word that. You can also give to somebody. That's why Paul said, by this time, you ought to be teaching others. So when you're receiving the word of God, don't receive it with the mentality of, I'm just receiving, receiving it to grow and to bear fruit. Most of the time we think, oh, I'm receiving it so that I will live the word of God out. That is good, but that is not complete. At the end of the day, there must be a seed in the fruit that you can plant and get another plant out of. I don't know if you are getting the point that I'm making. And that seed is when you have experienced it. That's why John said the things that we have seen heard and touched is what we declare unto you. When I talk about preaching the word to somebody else don't think about a microphone. There are a lot of avenues for sharing the word of God. I talked about social media and things. When there are misconceptions, use the word of God to, 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 to educate people. Your roommates when you go back, go and tell your roommate what you have learned. When you are learning somebody, something to go and teach, you learn it better. You are able to internalize more. So at the end of the day, the fruit must become a seed. It must bear a seed. But we are told about four different places where the word can land. Let me have those pictures. And Jesus gave different interpretations. He talked about it falling by the pathway and the fact that birds come and eat it up and they are destroyed. So this word, this group of people, they don't benefit anything from the word. Sometimes they receive it and, oh, maybe they're a little excited in the beginning, that, 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 that. But then 
Satan just comes and takes the excitement out of their hearts. I'm sure when I preach on prayer and how to pray, and they, hey, hey, Charlie, we are going to, my prayer life is at a different level. This is, you wait by one week, uh, <laughs> the best have come to chop the thing. Rocky ground, rocky ground. And then we have thorny ground. Thorny ground, with thorny ground, the thing lands on soil all right. It gains roots all right. And ask me how the word of God that is preached to you can gain roots. It will gain roots when you go back and chew on the word. When you go back, the scriptures that you have written down. If we were to go over the scripture notes that we write in church, sometimes we just bring the notebook so that Charlie will look spiritual. Charlie comes with the notebook, writing revelations, things like that. But if we really do as we are expected to go back, that is the process of the word gaining root inside us. The word gaining root. When you go back, you go and check. Paul even tells them that he likes the, the Berean church, the people of Berea. Why? Because when he, Paul, preaches to them, they go back and go and check the scriptures to see whether the things that he has said are true. Now, if your pastor preaches and you go and check whether what he said is true, it's called disloyalty. That you don't believe in your pastor. But a whole apostle Paul was commending people that they went back and went to check whether the things he had said were true. This is how the word of God gains root in you. If it is a preaching, you listen to it over and over and over and over. That is how it gains root. They said when you listen to something once, most of the time on the average, you only internalize 11%. You might think you have the whole thing. But haven't you had a situation where you listen to a message over and over again and you wonder, ah, this line, did I hear it at all? And as you are listening to it, you get different meanings of it. You get different revelations of it. That is the process of the word of God gaining root in your life. And then the last one, good so Yes, on the thorny ground, then thorns come in and come and infiltrate. And I've talked about some of these infiltrations, some of these imaginations, some of these misconceptions in the system. That come to confuse you. But I pray that the Lord will remove any thorns that you have in your mind and in your spirit where the word of God is concerned. And the last place is when it finds itself on good soil. So it gains roots and it begins to grow. In Acts they said, and the word of God grew mightily. Somebody said, hey, so the word of God can grow. Yes, it can grow. It grows when it is made, allowed to gain roots. And the crop grows, bears fruits, and the seeds are used to plant another thing. That is how it grows. And that is how the church expanded. People were receiving the word and they were teaching others the word. That's what the Bible means by the word of God grew. It increased. It expanded. So when you come to church and you receive the word, it's not just for you alone. It's for you to teach other people. Hallelujah. And then I'll end on the note of the word of God is likened to milk. It's likened to food. The Bible says as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word of God. Now, there are three levels at which we can deal with the word of God. The human being is made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, body, or flesh. We can deal with the word of God at the level of the flesh. We can deal with the word of God at the level of the soul. And we can deal with the word of God at the level of the spirit. And of all these three, the word of God is most efficient or most powerful when you deal with it at the level of the spirit. Now, let me explain. The body is the means by which we interact with our physical environment. The soul is that middle ground, the emotions, the will, the intellect. 
and the spirit is the inner man. That is the means by which we interact with the spirit world. The word of God is most effective when it enters our spirit. How do we deal with the word of God at the level of the, of the flesh? We just deal with the word of God as a physical book. So, those who are dealing with the word of God at that level, they believe if you have a Bible and you put it under your pillow and you sleep, witches will not fly over your room that day. Physical, flesh level. The witch will come and you will even stand on the Bible. <laughs> I was telling you the other time that, is it? When white men do things, they find nice ways to describe them. Before they invented flying, Africa, we were flying already. And both ways are crafts. One is an aircraft, and the other is witch crafts. <laughs> the difference is where they land. The aircraft will land on the tarmac. And the witch will land in your bedroom. <laughs> it is not at that physical. That is not where the word of God is effective. It's just like food. The fact that the food is on your table doesn't mean you have benefited from it. You haven't benefited from it. the food is on your table. It's yours, so, but it's useless to you and to your body. That is what keeping the word of God under your pillow is like. It's use, it's completely powerless at that level. Now, how do we deal with the word of God at the level of the soul? The soul is the mind. To memorize it. It is good to memorize. But the word of God, the power in the word of God is not at its optimum when the word of God is in your mind. Keeping the word of God in your mind is like taking the food and eating it and swallowing it. But you haven't digested it. Hallelujah. It is only when you have digested the food and absorb it that it becomes useful to your body so keeping the word of God in your mind is good keep it in your mind, memorize it because without it being in your mind, it can get into your spirit so how do you get the word of God into your spirit it's like the process of digestion you have taken it in, it's in your mind but you get it into your spirit through the process of meditation. Everybody say meditation. That is why Joshua also told, this book of the law shall not depart from your lips. That means know it and quote it. But what? Meditating upon it, not just once, but day and night. It is when you meditate upon the word that you receive the rima, which is the active form of the word of God. The, the part of the word of God that is powerful. The part of the word of God that the Bible says is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not the book that is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not the book that is like fire. Otherwise, if you put water on it, it will burn or it will, it will boil. It is the rima, the, the spiritual part of the word of God comes alive when you meditate upon the word of God. Hallelujah. So, for example, a scripture like you are more than conquerors. You read it. In Christ Jesus, you are more than conquerors. You read it and you start meditating upon it. Meditating upon it is like digesting it, turning it around in your mind. Putting different life situations into it. Putting yourself into the situation. You are turning it around. It's like you are churning it. You are releasing digestive enzymes into it. 
until it is broken down to the point where you absorb it into your spirit. So you are meditating upon it. In Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. And then as you are doing, the Holy Spirit reveals to you that there are conquerors and the Bible is saying you are more than a conqueror. So what could this mean? A conqueror necessarily has to fight in order to win. But probably, if the Bible says I'm more than a conqueror, it means maybe in certain situations, I don't even have to fight. And I'm going to win. Because I am more than a conqueror. This is a rhema for I'm telling you how the Lord spoke to me concerning the scripture in a particular situation. That is a rhema for you. And for a particular word of God, there can be millions and millions of different rhema for it. And it comes to speak to a particular situation in your life. That is when the word of God is active. When you are just quoting the word of God, it's good. You have it in your, at your, in your mind. Let's assume the word of God is a bullet. If I take this bullet and I throw it at Alpha's forehead, it will hit him. It will just bruise him a little. But I'm not making use of the full power in the bullet. But if I should load that same bullet in a gun, and in this case, the word of God is a bullet, your spirit man is the gun. If I load that same bullet in a gun and I point it at his forehead with one shot, his life is over. And it will not just be bruises. That is why you must meditate upon the word of God. Get it into your spirit. When a situation comes, the Holy Spirit will just shine a light on a particular part of the word of God that speaks to the situation. And then you begin to speak and fire the word of God out of your spirit, out of the gun of your spirit. When discouragement comes, you remember, he says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. When your pocket is empty, the Lord shines a light on the word. I desire above all things that you shall prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospered. When you are sick in your body, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes, I am healed. You fire the word of God out of the barrel of your spirit. And Satan knows that this is not a believer I must joke with. I pray that God will give you a new culture of meditating upon the word of God. I pray that the struggles in your life will come to an end when the spirit of God leads you to specific portions of his word that speak directly to the situation. Look, people have had besetting sins and they have been delivered from besetting I know somebody who had a serious problem with masturbation. He didn't need anybody to lay hands on him. He just saw the scripture that said, he that is born of the spirit does not sin. He meditated upon it to the point where the thing entered his spirit. He just got up and said, I cannot do this thing again. And from that day, he has been delivered. The word of God is spirit. Sometimes you don't need counseling. You don't need deliverance. It is the word of God in your spirit that will speak to the situation. I pray that God will take you to a new level of your knowledge of your word, of the word, and of the expression of the power in the, of the word of God in your life. Shall we stand to our feet? Shall we stand?